everybody, to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell. Joining me today to talk about the U.S. Women's National Team, the She Believes Cup, the upcoming NWSL season is Steph Yang. Steph, thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's been a few months since last we chatted. Has this been your sort of, like, is this your downtime when you get to relax a little bit more and then things amp back up, or do you stay busy? I thought it would be my downtime. <laughs> you said that really so sadly. <laughs> oh, no. Um, and in a way, it was. There were little pockets here and there, but there's actually so much has been happening so much in this off season. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's kind of like... Um, it's good to be busy, especially in our business. But at the same time, I would love to not be busy. So it's one of those like monkey paws things, <laughs> I guess. Uh, how like what percentage of the stories that you're writing? Like, do you actually get to enjoy writing versus are about uh, like coaches being terrible people or like governmental <sighs> malfeasance or wh- whatever it might be? Like, do you get to write pieces that you actually enjoy that are actually fun? Recently, the balance has been really tipped negatively. And this yeah. is something that I've talked with about with a lot of colleagues, which is we would love to write mm-hmm. fun, happy stories about NWSL and, and women's soccer in general. But right now, people aren't doing fun, happy things. So, mm-hmm. But I did get to just publish actually a Q&A with Sam Mewis and Lynn Williams, who uh, have their own podcast called Snacks are on the KC Current. And that was actually really fun. I was like, oh, this is why I originally wanted to cover soccer this is really really enjoyable and it's kind of like a little breath of relief hopefully the rest of 2022 will take a cue from that what's their podcast called it's called snacks it's on the just women sports network it's um it's kind of like a more casual slice of life lifestyle sort of podcast but if you want to just hang out with two amiable soccer players it's a pretty good vibe Oh, all right. I am. I am very, very into that because I was watching just before we started. I was watching the thing that the that US put out on Twitter about like like the different players trying to feel objects with blindfolds on. And <laughs> Sam and Christy Mewis are the best, but Lynn Williams was pretty hysterical in there as well. So that seems like that seems like a good listen. I'm into that for sure. Yeah, not everything has to be so like oh, the news is awful all the time. You yeah. you need sometimes the laid back vibe. So it's a good little respite. All right. Well, we, we've got uh, some good vibes, hopefully, but we'll see if that persists with the She Believes Cup. My expectation is that it will, because it's not the strongest of fields for the She Believes Cup. <laughs> uh, February 17th uh, is when it kicks off, featuring the USA, Czech Republic, New Zealand, and Iceland. Do you have an idea, Steph, why we're not getting some of those bigger teams? Historically, we've had, you know, like England, Germany in there, the Netherlands, maybe. I can't quite remember. But Czech Republic... Uh, Iceland, pretty pretty new to me. Uh, I'm wondering if you have thoughts on that. Yeah, I think it's two primary reasons. One, um, international travel during COVID is pretty logistically a nightmare, um, especially I think USA and then European countries. My impression is they all have their own separate protocols that are ar- around travel and re-entry. So maybe that's kind of a nightmare. And second is uh, the women's Euro. So I think a lot of the heavy hitters are kind of more in preparation mode and they're not seeing she believes is ah, something that's going to add to that that makes a lot of sense when when are the women's euros uh women's euros god i should know this this off summer the top would of be my... the fair answer <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's actually going to be sooner than we think i i really want to say um june or something mm. yeah Ju- july june or Ju- july that's probably <laughs> it yeah 
Nice. All right. Well, uh, while we wait for that, we've got uh, She Believes to enjoy. Uh, Vlatko released his roster, uh, then had to update it due to Abby Dahlkemper's injury. She's out. Trinity Rodman is in. We'll get to that a little deeper in a second. First, the big news when the roster dropped was the absence of some of the big names for people who missed it. Uh, No Megan Rapinoe, no Alex Morgan, Tobin Heath, Kristen Press, Julie Ertz, Crystal Dunn, to name just a few. Do you personally feel like that is meant to give those players a rest and they'll be back in the team in the future? Is this the start of Vlatko changing up the squad and getting some newer faces in there? Is it maybe a combination of the two, depending on the player we're talking about? I think it's the last one. It really depends on the player. Mm-hmm. Some of them, like Julie Ertz, I really think physically, maybe even mentally, she's still exhausted. If you look at the workload that she was asked to take on and that she probably willingly shouldered herself as well, both for country and club. Remember, she was such a key player at the club level as well. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if her body is like, no, it's not time yet. Yeah. You're still a little cooked. It, we we got to still rest. Uh, obviously, Crystal Dunn is pregnant. Kristen Press has been taking some time away for her own mental health. And then now she's coming back to like preseason with Angel City. Um, you know, Megan Rapinoe, I wouldn't be surprised if she also needs to rest. I think she's kind of at the end of her ability to really recover physically. Um, same with Alex Morgan, maybe. And yeah, and then it's a combo of wanting to give some space to these younger kids. Like, what's the point of tiring out, for example, an Alex Morgan or a Megan Rapinoe against a Czech Republic or an Iceland right before their club season is supposed to start? And and then U.S. soccer gets to evaluate these players who all need to be evaluated. And some of them are going to need to be integrated seriously before the 2023 Women's World Cup. So it's it's a lot of different factors. I don't think people should read too much into it other than that Vladko loves data and this is how he's going to get it. Have you ever gotten a sense of how good of a communicator he is? Because I feel like as you're leaving off some of these names or as he maybe starts to move on and maybe some of these names are left off permanently, I imagine a lot of that and how it will go down will be uh, in response to his ability to communicate what's happening, why it's happening to those players and make them feel involved in the decision. Is that a strength of his or does he tend to kind of focus more on the numbers, more on the results on the field and leaves everything else to everybody else? Well, I'll give you an example of some of the communication he's told us about, which was, for example, we had some friendlies against Australia at the end of last year. And he told the media, you know, I told the younger players straight up who are going to be in January camp that they're going to be in camp already um, so that they don't feel like they're having to live and die by the results of these two friendlies against Australia. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably a clue people can take into how he communicates with players and setting expectations. Oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. And that definitely would take some of the pressure off, which I think is good if you're easing people in. Maybe you need the pressure to be there if you're sort of prepping for a World Cup. But at this stage, less so. Uh, I mentioned Trinity Rodman, uh, her absence and then inclusion. Do you personally feel like she should have been included from the start or looking at the roster? Do you see reasons for her absence in the first place? Um, Including her as a training player, but not having her on their roster made sense to me Mm -hmm. once again you know, fans can speculate and so can we, but we, we're just not there day to day. And Trinity Robin has on and off had, you know, some health issues over the course of the season. For example, she's had a lingering back injury. If you watch the NWSL championship where Washington was playing the Chicago Red Stars, there was a point where she was pulling up and like really holding mm-hmm. her back. And so if, you know, U.S. soccer had said, uh, we've evaluated her and we want her to rest her body more in between seasons, I would be completely unsurprised giving her time to, 
you know, accommodate her body physically to the speed of national team camp, giving her a rest after a crazy last season. That's how you avoid her being 24 year old, 24 years old with, you know, permanent back problems. So, you know, yeah. including if she's healthy enough to be included, that's great. But, you know, I didn't read anything else into her being used as a training player other than, the, you know, and Black himself said, like, I don't want to blast her with information mm-hmm. all at once. I want her to rest and really absorb things. All right. So it seems like things are being communicated. There's there's relatively good vibes or as, as good of vibes as can be given the uh, the booting from the Olympics that happened previously. Uh, with this squad that we've got, Steph, who are you most excited to see included for whatever reason? I really like the return of Morgan Gautreaux. I think she had an extraordinary season with the Chicago Red Stars, both in terms of her play on the field, but like her leadership in the locker room as well. Um I have a colleague, Claire Watkins, who's a big Chicago area writer, and she kept saying it looked like Morgan Control was literally ready to like die on the field to drag that team to a national championship. And it and it really it really came through. So um I'm excited to see if she's, you know, bounced back all the way to like the national team level. I really thought she was one of our more outstanding midfielders for a while and she, um, you know, had to take a break. I talked to her, I think, about a year ago or so, where she did talk about how mentally as well, um, this was kind of a, a reset for her. So I'm I'm really interested in seeing Gautreau play. I would love to see, you know, a defender like uh, Alana Cook and Emily Fox kind of get out there on the field together. Maybe a, a defense that isn't anchored by Becky Sauron and obviously with Abby Dahlkemper out, you know, that it, it really could be a, a more of a new look defense between Davidson, someone like Emily Fox, Alana Cook, maybe even Sofia Huerta in there. So those are some of the players who I, I want to keep my eye on. And what about in the midfield where we've got seven players, Gautreau, as you mentioned, Haran, uh, Lavelle, Macario, Mewis, Sanchez, and Sullivan. Stands to reason we'll see some familiar faces if we go with the 4-3-3, if it's uh, Lavelle and Haran, maybe it's Gautreau. But what, what are some other combinations or what are some other sort of midfielders you think could play a big role or should play a big role? I think we'll see more out of Christy Mewis, although she kind of has, I'm, I'm not going to say she's less flexible, but she has like her known strengths. Katarina Macario actually might be someone that we see a lot more of that evaluation where the team wants to see whether they want to play her like a false nine. Do they want to play her in a 10 role? Um, I think she is more valuable centrally. Someone somewhere is going to roast me for that. They're gonna be like, this is why she should always be in a wink. You know, you can never, <laughs> but you know, um, yeah. Macario, I think it'll be interesting to see how far up or how far down the field they play her. Uh, yeah. Between her and Gautreau, I think there's actually some interesting combinations that could be had here. So, oh, and, you know, I don't want to forget Ashley Sanchez as well. Vlatko has complimented, you know, how hard that he's seen her work and her ability to, like, get box to box and and to be a, a an all-game player. So I think there's a lot of mix and match possibility here. Aside from being hilarious with her sister, what are those sort of known strengths for Christy Mewis? Uh, forgive me, I have goldfish goldfish brain of late, but I remember being really impressed by her her passing ability when she was playing for the U.S. and uh, in the NWSL playoffs. So she that stood out to me, but I'm not sure if that is just sort of my specific memory versus what is actually known to be her strength. 
I think Chrissy Mewis's passing ability is definitely something to focus on, particularly she plays more on the the left side of that field. I think she also has pretty good set piece delivery. Um, if you have a free kick within range of the box, she's not a bad option to have on the ball, especially if you don't have a Megan Rapino on the field. Um, yeah, I think her ability to set up dangerous situations for the Fords and her ability to contribute there herself, maybe with a late run or something, but primarily that passing and setup ability and her ability to press the ball in that kind of left half space-ish area. And looking at the forward line, there's five names there. Ashley Hatch, Mallory Pugh, uh, Midge Purse, Sophia Smith, Lynn Williams. I almost called, called her Margaret Purse and it felt wrong. Uh, if it is the four, three, three shape, uh, what would you guess would be the most likely starting lineup? Because we don't have, as we said, a lot of those familiar attackers in there. It's, it's, it to me is like the most unproven, quote unquote, of the uh, player pool positions. Yeah, pretty interesting who you see in this group maybe playing more in a nine role. That could be Hatch or Sophia Smith. But then again, I think Vladko has talked about Sophia Smith more in a in a wider position, left and right. Uh, Mal Pugh is another one who can play wide. Uh, Lynn Williams is someone who we know tends to be played at a right forward position. Midge Purse, again, someone also who plays wide. So interesting to think that he may use a formation that doesn't necessarily emphasize a nine, you know, right. looking at the the forwards that we have available and their flexibility to play wide. Um, and then maybe looking at that group and not seeing someone who particularly stands out as like exclusively as a nine. I, I, yeah, that that's a very good point, which then begs the question I've been like just sort of uh, assuming it was going to be that four three three. Do you think there might be any sort of uh, changes to the way the U.S. comes out, or do you do you expect it to be something similar to what we've seen, just with maybe some nuances in there based on the positions and the players and the talent available? You know, for all that I just said, I do think four three three is very likely <laughs> because once again, you know, they're they're testing things, so yeah. maybe they don't want to switch things at least the their habit is they start things out pretty similarly in the first half and then you kind of get the sense they're like okay they're they're experimenting with like what this triggers them to fall back in this formation this triggers them pressing in this formation but they do tend to kind of start out similarly each game that's their habit before they start shifting pieces and in terms of the opposition, as I said earlier, I think New Zealand, I have some familiarity with. I don't know much about Czech Republic or Iceland. Do you have any expectations for those three teams against the U.S.? Or what are those expectations if you do? Whenever you see a tournament like this, the expectation is always, I think, the U.S. is probably going to focus on themselves without trying to be disrespectful to any of the opponents. Obviously, yeah. New Zealand's a host of the Women's World Cup, but I think they had a really tough time with COVID. The times that they've played international friendlies, you know, what little time that they've had, they've, they've looked like it. They've looked like people who have not had a lot of playing time together or, or with their own teams. Um, you know, Czech Republic and Iceland, also two teams that I have not been following closely, I wouldn't say that it's going to be a pushover by any means. And I think it would be really great, actually, if a team like Iceland, especially after the rough time that they've had recently with the accusations against their their men's team from some of the women's players. I don't know if you followed this, but there no, was I, I you know, some accusations of like harassment and I think possibly sexual assault against a player on the men's team from players who have 
been in the women's team pool. And, you know, the entire Federation board, I think, had to resign at one point because just there are also allegations of perhaps like a cover up or or just not taking it seriously or something like that. So, you know, there there were a lot of stories like that in 2021. So I wouldn't blame anyone for being like losing that kind of an and all the awful stories that came out globally, not just in NWSL, but you know what? A, what a nice time it would be if they could come and have a, a really good couple of friendlies. I I have like a, a genuine question that if you don't feel comfortable answering, that is fine. Like, how do you like deal with that sort of story going forward? Because the thing that always like really bothers me, aside from the horrific like details of everything that's happened, is sort of knowing the way. Uh, Paul Riley, for example, is discussed prior to these things being as public as they've become. Like, it, it makes it like looking back on it and, and knowing all these things that are very like glowing and, and, and positively written. And then like, it makes me almost paranoid about like, you never know. And, and any of these people could be terrible. And in some ways, it makes me not want to know anything about anybody. In some ways, <laughs> it makes me want to know everything about everybody. So I can feel like I know what's going on. For you, like, how how do you sort of process that or keep those things separate because i imagine me just sitting here hearing it it is not nearly as probably upsetting or difficult when you're actually reporting on it and wading through all of the muck i will say you're not unaffected the sheer number of stories in nwsl alone it has made me a lot more suspicious of everybody at all times but i don't think that's really that can be both healthy and unhealthy. Mm-hmm. It can be healthy in, in terms of journalism where it gives you like a healthy skepticism and a willingness to be like, what is going on here? But it can be really unhealthy in that it just makes you feel really on guard and unable to get to the heart of a, a story sometimes. Um, if you're suspecting everybody has the worst intention all the time, then you can't really yeah. communicate with them. Um I know that's a little bit therapy-ish, but it, it you know it does affect your ability to to see the whole picture. Sometimes, if everybody's always like, "Oh, you're the bad guy," you know, I just feel it, you know, mm-hmm. because that's so. I, I think there has to be for myself. I I try to report on the facts that I have, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and and later on, if somebody turns out to be a bad guy. I think it's happened to all of us where it's like, well, we had the information that we had. We dug to the best of our ability. And sometimes a story comes out later where it's like this person I interviewed turned out to be a, can I swear? How turned out to be a jackass, you know, to put it mildly. Um, And you, you can't go around assuming everybody is, you know, yeah, you, you just can't go around reporting, assuming the worst of everybody all the time. You just, you just have to report on the facts that you can get. And then I imagine it, it's just a matter of like, I think so often people get wrapped up in their own pride of like, no, I didn't get that wrong. I wasn't wrong. I didn't say it. and it's maybe it's just better to own that. Like, yeah, I wrote this glowing story about this person. I didn't know any of that was going on. And now I can retract that or add an edit to it or sort of make it clear that like there are other far more nefarious things that need to be known about that person. But I think sometimes when people get entrenched in that I'm not wrong mentality, it, it limits 
the ability to have productive conversations. Also should note, uh, TSS is both pro-therapy and pro-therapy-ish. <laughs> so no, that is that is always a uh, welcome sentiment. I appreciate you sharing, uh, Steph. Uh, let's talk about the, the NWSL instead, and let's maybe move away from that, that topic for a moment. What is the latest with the NWSL? I won't ask you Meg's question. I will ask you if any regular season dates have been published in an official way thus far. <laughs> well, we have challenge cup schedule Mm -hmm. um and i think i don't want to say that people are unexcited for i mean i'm sure fans are excited and a lot of players are are raring to go so i'll just focus on the facts that we do have this is a case like let me not read too much into the negativity so uh challenge cup march 19th through may 7th um you know a lot of interesting games i think a lot of people will actually be focusing on the debut of our two new expansion teams, Angel City, San Diego. Uh, they will be playing each other, obviously, in the Challenge Cup. So, you know, I mean, ask away anything that you want to know about any of the teams. I can't guarantee I'll answer because it's still preseason. But yeah. it's also like, oh, my God, it's time for games already. But it was just 2021. <laughs> It does feel that way. It really does. I still keep writing 2021. In fact, it's the longest I've gone with still getting that date right in a new year. Um, I, I want to ask you about Angel City and San Diego. But first, the Challenge Cup as a whole, like how how valued do you think it is? Because I, I tend to think of it as this big tournament where all the teams are coming together. It's the first competition of the year. I think it also gets sort of covered as a preseason tournament and getting people kind of their fitness back, they're up to form, and then the season begins. How do you sort of approach the Challenge Cup uh, in your coverage? I think we approach it in that games have value. And I do like that, you know, games that get coverage on uh, whether it's actual on air or live streaming, just giving fans more chance to watch games and giving sponsors more chances to kind of get in on games. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. I think that if the league is smart, they can. So, for example, um, I think NWSL does need kind of more events or awards to make, if that makes sense. Like if you look at the women's super league in England, they had things like the continental cup and things like that. And even if they're not like regular season games, there's still a sense of pride and fun. You can sell tickets and make an event out of it. And so I think the league is smart. Challenge cup could be that way. It's just there. They need to tweak like what the timing is. Maybe this needs to be happening during a break in the middle of the summer to be more appealing to fans. But then you have broadcasters who are like, well, we don't want to compete with, you know, other important events that might be happening midsummer, for example, during the Olympic year. There's a lot of balancing. I would not want to be the person who has to balance all of them. In fact, yeah. that's why I did not get into sports governance. I got into sports coverage. <laughs> but I think there's potential in it. All right. Uh, how much potential do you see in Angel City and San Diego, uh, both new teams? How competitive are you expecting them to be in Challenge Cup or in the uh, the following season? That is such a good question. And right. I could see both teams. Honestly, I would see Angel City being more ready off the bat just because the coach Freya Coombe has been in NWSL. So she has a feel for like the ebb and flow, the pacing, the energy and Casey Stoney coming from England. The thing we always hear with people who come from other countries, not just England to the NWSL, they're like, you guys really operate like this. And it's not just NWSL. It's like American sports, right? They'll be like, what are playoffs? 
You know, <laughs> like why, who has the most points at the end of the season? That's the winner, right? That sort of thing. Um, and I do think San Diego kind of doesn't have as much balance in their roster yet. For a long time, they were kind of like, we've got 10 defenders, 10 forwards, and one maybe sort of midfielder. And they're, they've kind of adjusted that with their preseason roster, but in terms of who's actually signed, I, I, don't, I really don't know what their midfield is going to look like, whereas Angel City, I feel like, is more balanced positionally. And I think I had remembered it as Jill Ellis being the coach, but that's Casey Stoney, right? Correct. Casey Stoney. So is Jill Ellis, do you think she'll ever take another coaching gig or is she kind of content to retire with uh, with her two World Cups? I could see her being content. I mean, she's, yeah, after the World Cup, unless some team is willing to pay her a bajillion dollars, which I wouldn't put past them, men's or women's. I could I could also see her being like, I don't need a bajillion dollars. I yeah. live in a really nice place in the country. I have a cushy job. I don't I don't want to have to move my family to England or Italy or wherever it might be. So who yeah. can say? I could see I could see yeah, you, you win two World Cups as a coach and then you retire to San Diego. There are worse ways, or not retire, but your next gig is in San Diego and that's where you set up permanently. Yeah, I can see the appeal uh, to that. A team that has changed locations would be the Kansas City Current, formerly the Utah Royals. How has that move restructuring worked out so far? They've got Lynn Williams and Sam Uis, so I'm assuming they're feeling okay? Yes, I think they they have sent a lot of indications that like, Hey, season one was kind of a gimme. They put things together on the fly. I have so much respect for the way that that ownership group really made things happen in like a matter of months. Can Mm -hmm. you imagine putting together a functioning professional sports team in like less than a year? That's, I mean, I can imagine it. It just makes me have a panic attack and then want to quit doing that. Yeah. Right. It makes me want to go lie down immediately (laughs) and like just not think about it. (laughs) Um, the secondhand stress. And so they're like, okay, last year was kind of a gimme. We competed, but we weren't necessarily competitive, even though they wanted to be, obviously. But this year they're like, no more gimmies. And it showed in both acquisitions and the massive financial investment that the Longs and the ownership group announced between a training facility and a stadium. I think the total money investment is somewhere between 70 and $80 million. So it's like a $15 million training facility. And then obviously like 50, 60 something for uh, a soccer specific riverfront stadium that is for the women's team, which is also, I think, really cool and exciting because whenever these groups announce stadiums, it tends to be because they have a men's team and then the women's team also gets to use it. But they're like, no, 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 this stadium is for our women's team, the Kansas City Current. I'm like, that's cool. Yeah. All right. So are they do you think that they're in one of the stronger positions in terms of their their roster build at present or are there other clubs uh, that you let's think? Get ahead of ourselves. All right. <laughs> <laughs> what do they what what makes you question the strength of their roster? Um they've got some of the players carrying over from last season and I know it's our job to evaluate these players being bad or good and like you can't worry about hurting someone's feelings because you're objectively saying like okay, this person played badly or didn't over the course of a season. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I feel oddly sensitive about naming like, oh, I don't know if these people they carried over and it'd be great. I will say, you know, between players like Haley May, Sam Mewis, obviously Lynn Williams, they've got 80 French. I thought that was a big trade that they made last year already. They've got a good group that they actually got out of North Carolina, you know, starting with Kristen Hamilton And then they just announced Ella Masser joining their assistant coach staff, which people are like, what? 
How did you lure her back from Europe from her family? But, uh, you know, and a new head coach, Matt Potter, I think there's enough unknowns between the new head coach and their draft picks and integrating new players, even if they are heavy hitters. Like Sam Mewis, is she even going to be healthy for the start of the season? She's not in national team camp right now because she's still dealing with, you know, recovery from, I think, a knee injury. So it's it's too many question marks for me. It's enough to say they should be more competitive, but I don't know how much. Do you have an equal number of question marks around uh, North Carolina? You mentioned them briefly. Uh, they continue to make headlines for the wrong reasons. I'm, I, I am fairly uncertain what this season is going to look like from, for them from an on and off field perspective. Yeah. Um, you know, they did recently just lose a veteran player and Amy Rodriguez, who's like, I'm retiring to go coach. And I was like, good. You looked really tired last yeah. season. Like every time she spoke, I was like, do you? You need sleep. It looks like you need sleep. They lost, obviously, players like Jess McDonald. Some, mm. But you know what? I actually probably feel a little more optimistic about them in terms of their rookies. I think they they bet on the draft, and their head coach, Sean Nahas, is saying, like, I am trusting myself to be able to see talent and integrate them and get them functioning on a pro level. And I'm like, okay, I can respect that. Let me ask you this, then. Which team do you have the least amount of question marks about right now? And that can be because they're not going to be that good. So you kind of know what they're going to be. That could be because they've got a stacked Hmm. roster. Who do you feel like you know the most about right now, or you can kind of understand the best? I would say the Washington spirit are up there. I would say the thorns and maybe the rain are somewhere in that category as well. And that's it. All right. Wow. So it's So are you expecting a pretty wide open challenge cup then? Yes and no. I <laughs> Look, here's the thing. Every time someone asks you to predict something about NWSL, uh-huh. even if you're a deep in the weeds data nerd, somebody always does something that you're like, oh, I'm the clown. Like, I, <laughs> But at the same time, you couldn't have predicted it. That's NWSL. Like if you look at last season with Gotham and their whole thing where like they were uh, way under goals against for somehow like – they they were it felt like they were at least two standard deviations off of where they should have been in terms of their goals against and the xg of teams against them so some team somewhere will confound you like emotionally statistically somehow so we can make predictions all we want but like man plans and wsl laughs <laughs> final question for you then what you can plan is maybe the next uh month or so of work what have you got uh coming up next for the athletic Well, we're planning some interviews. I can't say who. That's not because it's like a big name or anything. Mm -hmm. I just can't say who yet. Um, We're obviously continuing our NWSL coverage. And um, honestly, I'm hoping to do some more work in, you know, the vein that Meglinahan did in the recent um, report that Molly Hensley Clancy released Mm -hmm. uh, in the Washington Post about Rory Dames and youth soccer. I'm hoping to work more in that area. I think youth soccer is an area where we really need to focus a lot of attention when it comes to dealing with um, all the issues that came out last season. You know, I tweeted about it, but I'll just say it again. I think it's one of the areas where we can really make the most impact in preventing situations like this from happening. So I'm really hoping to focus some more reporting in that area. Well, I look forward uh, to you doing that, to talking about it when you do. But also, I just appreciate uh, all the work that you and Meg do, because as we've talked about multiple times on this show and in episodes previously, uh, it, it probably isn't always the most fun 
job, but it is a, a very necessary and essential job. So thank you for all the work that you do. We appreciate you, you know, reading it. Yeah, of course. And I'm assuming that extends to the listeners as well, although I'm assuming it was just directed to me. But Steph Yang, thank you so much uh, for taking the time to chat with me today. Thanks for having me on. Listeners, thanks so much for listening, and we'll talk to you all again soon. Bye.